Hello, my name's Florence. Welcome to the OBS pod. I'm an NHS obstetrician, hoping to share some thoughts and experiences about my working life. Perhaps you enjoy Call the Midwife, maybe birth fascinates you, or you're simply curious about what exactly an obstetrician is. You might be pregnant and preparing for birth. Perhaps you work in maternity and want to know what makes your obstetric colleagues tick, or you want some fresh ideas and inspiration. Whichever of these is the case, and for that matter, anyone else that's interested, the OBSPOD is for you. Episode 28. Dates. As soon as you announce you're pregnant, people ask, when's it due? It's the first question that pops into people's minds. It's also important for those of us looking after women. Everything in obstetrics is determined by dates. How many weeks pregnant the woman is. This is known as gestation. One of the first things we learn as a medical student is how to calculate that gestation and arrive at the expected date of delivery or EDD. This is done using Nagel's rule. This means you take the LMP, the first day of the last menstrual period, minus three months, add seven days and add a year. In practice, this means every time we see a woman in our antenatal clinic, we pick up an obstetric wheel. This is a very simple, useful tool. Essentially, it's two concentric circles. The outer wheel displays the days and months of the calendar, whilst the inner wheel has the weeks of pregnancy, starting with zero, the LMP, and counting through the weeks all the way to 42. Within seconds, by turning the wheels, you can use it to know exactly how many weeks and days pregnant a woman in front of you is. This is critical because it informs everything you do. A symptom or sign at one point in pregnancy, may determine completely different action from the same symptom or sign at a different point in pregnancy. One of the things we learn as a medical student is to structure our answers when asked questions about pregnancy into the first trimester, second trimester and third trimester. Dates are the fundamental piece of information required to make decisions. These days, of course, as well as a wheel, there's an app. There are many pregnancy apps that work out the due date and can tell a woman exactly how many weeks pregnant she is at any point in time and what that corresponds to in terms of the baby's development. Nagel's rule depends on the fact that women have a regular menstrual cycle, 28 days. And of course, in practice, this isn't always true. So this means that there's a recommendation in the UK that every woman should be offered an early ultrasound scan between 11 weeks and 13 weeks and 6 days to determine gestational age and calculate the correct due date. The point of this is that this will ensure consistency of gestational age assessment. It's included in NICE guidance. And this therefore would reduce the incidence of intervention, a 
at a later point, perhaps when you're thinking about induction of labour for prolonged pregnancy or going overdue. So how does that work? Dating by ultrasound. Well, babies are very uniform at this stage of pregnancy. So the dates can be worked out by taking a measurement from the top of the baby's head to its bottom, known as crown rump length. This is very standard in the first few weeks of pregnancy and therefore can be used to quite accurately decide what gestation the baby is. In practical terms, this means when a woman's had her first scan, her dates may change. And that can be hard. The national recommendation and guidance is that we go with the ultrasound dates as being more accurate. But this can cause consternation to women. Sometimes they know their cycle length really accurately, or that conception just simply was not possible when we're telling them it must have happened. It can be quite tricky if a partner has been away from home for a period of time. It can sow seeds of doubt. It can be unhelpful. But equally it's frustrating for women if they're suddenly told they're a week or two less pregnant than they thought they were. They're earlier on. The baby's not due when they thought. And I find it quite a difficult discussion. Most women just accept it and move on. But I can't help but feel that it's almost like saying, we don't trust you. We trust the scan. We don't trust that you know your cycle length and duration. You know accurately the last date of your period. I know that's a bit extreme, but that can be how it feels. So when a woman tells me she's absolutely certain and that she feels the scan dates are wrong, I do take that into consideration when I'm helping her make decisions about her care. Nothing in the world is absolute. So yes, the guidance is we should take the scan. But there are always times at which one needs to adapt the guidance, use common sense, listen to what's important to that woman. We give women a single date. And yet, only 4% of babies will actually be born on their due date. It's a rarity. So much so that when it does happen and we see a woman in labour on her due date, we comment on it. We might even say, slightly stupidly, clever baby, it knows when it's due. Is it useful or unhelpful to give a woman a single date? It's useful to us clinicians advising decisions, but I know for women it can make them feel under pressure, particularly at the end of pregnancy. The reality that the baby may be born from 37 to 42 weeks is what's true. Would it be better to give women a range? Would it be better to give them a due month? I know from my own experiences of being 12 days over with my first baby and four days over with my second baby, that at that point, pregnancy can feel never-ending. And let's not forget, 42 weeks is an arbitrary point too. As in my previous podcasts, I thought I'd take a look back at my 1930s book of obstetrics again and see what it says about dates. It gives the same equation, Nagel's rule, that I was taught 50 years later in medical school. It details 10 lunar months, 40 weeks, and specifically says that nine months is incorrect. It talks about an average duration of 280 days, 
but also mentions pregnancies being reported as long as 313 days, with an explanation that the law places no limitations on the possible duration of pregnancy. A comment I find extremely alarming, the idea that one could legislate for how women's bodies function. But back then, if the woman didn't know her period, the only recourse was to use symptoms and examination to conclude how pregnant she may or may not be. There's a very detailed list of internal and external examination findings which might help the clinician deduce pregnancy duration. But the most important symptom it mentions is quickening, the first time a mother feels fetal movements, described as usually 16 to 18 weeks. So it's suggested that doctors could calculate labour may happen 22 to 24 weeks after quickening. So not a lot has changed. We have ultrasound on our side, but at the end of the day, women were still being given the same date. And that stands to reason because obviously human pregnancy is human pregnancy, whatever era it takes place in. So you might think dates, very straightforward, but then actually, if you look a little deeper, Women are given different dates in different countries. The clearest example of this I'm aware of is France. In the UK or the US, the due date you will be given will be 40 weeks. That is your due date. But if you live in France, you'll be given 41 weeks as your due date. Well, as far as I'm aware, pregnancy in France is the same as pregnancy in the UK. So it's just an abstract decision that the healthcare workers there have chosen a different date. So 40 weeks is something that we at some point have decided. 41 weeks is something that French doctors or midwives have decided. These days, 42 weeks is a key time. NICE guidance says women with uncomplicated pregnancies should usually be offered induction of labour between 41 and 42 weeks to avoid the risks of prolonged pregnancy. And I will come on to talk about induction more in a future episode. But it does choose 42 weeks as an end point. And it specifically says from 42 weeks women who decline induction of labour should be offered increased antenatal monitoring. Yes, we've taken 42 weeks because of evidence. But actually, the increased risks are a gradual increase. It's not that suddenly at 42 weeks, there's a sudden stepwise change. It's hard for women to go beyond the 42 weeks not only because it's hard for them being pregnant, but it's hard for them being pregnant with the expectations of everyone around them. If they're going to continue in their pregnancy, they face a barrage of questions from staff as to why they're not accepting intervention, let alone the pressure of family and friends ringing them almost constantly to know, has the baby arrived yet? I have had occasionally a woman go as far as 43 weeks with my support, seeing her regularly with additional monitoring. 
Often these are women who feel that they have a long menstrual cycle or they know that their mothers didn't go into labour till extremely late. Or in previous pregnancies, they were induced after 42 weeks and a few days and they feel their body wasn't ready. There can be good reasons why a woman wishes to wait. But there are also societal pressures too. And most of the time when I've had a woman wait, in the end, she's not waited for spontaneous labour. In the end, she has opted for intervention because it's just become too much, the waiting. And I don't know if we were more relaxed about it, whether that would be the case. We do have to draw the line somewhere. We do need those dates, don't get me wrong. Dates are really important. Crucial decisions depend on them. Dates for different complications, such as breaking the waters. If you break your waters at 27 weeks, you're going to do everything you possibly can to continue that pregnancy, unless it's detrimental to mother or baby. If you break your waters at 37 weeks, you have a much lower threshold for intervention and expecting that baby to be born and doing something to expedite the birth of the baby. Again, how you manage reduced fetal movements, a baby that's not moving well, at 28 weeks, will be balanced with the knowledge that actually preterm birth at 28 weeks is very serious, can have multiple complications. So you would err on the side of continuing the pregnancy and monitoring that baby as best you can, even though you know that there may be a small risk of stillbirth. Reduced movements at 38 weeks is an altogether different proposition. You've got a almost mature baby. It's ready to be born. The downside is huge. And the risks of the baby being born at that time are minimal. So you intervene. Dates are important in planning. Dates for planned birth, such as a cesarean section, for example. We know from lots of evidence that 39 weeks onwards is the safest time. Although we talk about term being 37 weeks onwards, actually there's evidence that suggests that there is late developmental benefit to staying in the womb. There's some fantastic research done by Every Week Counts, an Australian team, that shows both in terms of the weight of the baby's brain risk of admission to the neonatal unit and risk of learning difficulties at school age, there are benefits even in those late weeks of pregnancy. And I've put a link to this website in the programme notes. Some women, when they're opting for a caesarean, want to wait until they go into labour rather than choosing an artificial date. This is tricky. We know that planned caesarean is safer than emergency caesarean. So we know that the safest thing is for the woman to have a caesarean before the labour gets established, if that's what she's opting for. But we don't totally understand the mechanism of initiation of labour. And there definitely are downsides to being born by caesarean with no warning, no contractions and no hormonal changes Caesarean babies tend to have more fluid in their lungs 
and they can suffer from something called transient tachypnea of the newborn, which basically means transient fast breathing. It doesn't sound severe, and it isn't. It can be self-limiting in a few hours. In worst case, it may mean a short admission to the neonatal unit. Babies born vaginally don't tend to have that problem. And then there's all the evidence about the microbiome, that babies born by caesarean don't have the same microbiome, that is, bacteria on their skin and in their gut, that babies born vaginally do. So when a woman asks me if she can have a caesarean but have it when her body initiates labour, that's a serious request that we need to think about more. The planning of the caesarean is partly convenience, convenience for us as a maternity unit and for staffing, as well as for her benefit, less risk of complications. But it's also a very reasonable request that her baby will be ready when it's ready, rather than us forcing an issue. The other aspect of dates is the physical calendar. What dates women wish to avoid? What dates are popular? And it's amazing, obviously, when you're inducing a woman or planning a caesarean, you have some control over the date of the birthday. But actually, psychologically, it seems that women do also have some control. For example, every August, there's a rush of people who want to have their babies in September, because in the UK, that's the beginning of the school year. This year, the 30th and 31st of August were eerily quiet, unbelievably so, so that my colleague sent the rest of us a photograph of the very empty labelled board. Women don't want to have babies that they're youngest in the year group. Teachers especially can be distressed if they planned a baby that's due in September and then develop a complication in late pregnancy that means the baby has to come early, has to be born in August. People avoid dates, Friday the 13th, for example, or February the 29th. But some dates are unpopular. One can have four elective caesareans all week and then have a lull on Friday the 13th because nobody wants to book in to have their baby then. There's often a massive rush around Christmas. The week before Christmas can be frenetically busy. Everybody wants to be induced. Everybody wants to have a caesarean. Nobody wants to have that Christmas baby. And I do have some sympathy with this, but I also have very little patience for it. Having been myself heavily pregnant throughout Christmas with a baby that was due on the 18th of December and finally put in an appearance 12 days later on the 30th. Then there are individual issues about dates Women or families that don't want to have a baby on the anniversary of somebody else's birthday or someone's death. People who do actively want to share a birthday with their baby, them or their partner, or absolutely want to try and put distance between their birthday and that of their baby. People that want their children to share a birthday with their sibling and those that want each child within the family to very firmly have their own birthday. The issue is, it's a date for life. It's not just a date for the year the baby's born. The inconvenience 
of having one child born on another child's birthday. It's onwards into the future, stretching before them, sharing that day. What does that mean for celebrations, parties, a lifetime? Then there are the dates that everybody wants. Valentine's can be quite popular. Or fireworks, 5th of November. At the moment, we're having a spate of mathematically attractive dates. As I record this, we're just coming up to the 20th of the 10th. 20. I was on Labour Ward for the 5th of the 10th, 20. And people commented, 5, 10, 20. What a great birthday. Earlier in the year, we had 20, 2, 20, 20. So there are all sorts of reasons why some dates are popular and others less so. In our busy maternity unit, when we were at our peak delivering almost 6,000 babies a year, we could fluctuate hugely from an average of 16 babies a day down to a low point of perhaps five and a high point of sometimes as much as 26 in a 24-hour period. And for those of us working in maternity, there's always that slight thing of do you or do you not work on your own birthday? Sometimes it's lovely to work, help new babies into the world and have birthday buddies, as it were. Other times you really want to spend your birthday at home, not share it with anyone, have it to yourself. Dates, the date your baby's due, the date your baby's actually born, the birthday. It's part of the circle of life, birth and death, really important. Sometimes it's almost as if women will themselves into labour on an important date for them. Or sometimes it's almost as if they stop themselves going into labour at a time that they don't want to. If we could understand what does and doesn't make that happen, it would be it would be incredibly interesting. So now for the zesty bit. So I'm hoping that you've understood from this the importance of every week counting and counting probably even more than we currently know. Yes, intervention can be essential, but when we do so, with a lack of evidence, it doesn't mean we do no harm. Knowing dates, knowing dates accurately, is crucial. But also listening to women and what they're saying and what's important about the dates to them is equally important. And pregnant women, if you're listening to this, however fed up you get, however much you wish to avoid a certain date or time, and for the birth to be more convenient for you and your family, realise that this may come at an unknown cost. Determining the birth date of your baby is not always possible, not always desirable. Sometimes you just have to go with your body and let it do its thing, because that may be what's best for you and your baby. So don't get too attached to your actual due date. 
Remember, there's a very small chance of the baby actually arriving then. And think instead about a due month, a period of time after which, yes, the baby will definitely be here. And don't get too fixated. Let your body do what it's designed to do, if you possibly can. So in today's programme notes, I've added a couple of links. One is evidence-based birth, which is gives some evidence on due dates. And the other is every week counts. So if you're interested in finding out a bit more about the impact or calculation of dates, take a look. So I do hope you've enjoyed listening to the OBS pod. If you have, do like, subscribe or leave a review and join me again to explore more about the life of an NHS obstetrician. I'm finding it really exciting to have people listening and give me feedback about what they've found interesting. So please do recommend the OBS pod to other friends, colleagues or people who you think might find it interesting. I'd love it if you'd share with me what you've enjoyed about listening and if you've done anything differently as a result. I can be found on Twitter at FW Maternity and at the OBSPod. And please do check the MATEXP hashtag, hashtag M-A-T-E-X-P and the website matexp.org.uk for more information and ideas on how to improve women's experience of maternity care. Finally, I'd like to reassure you that I take confidentiality very seriously. And although I'm talking about experiences from my working life, I'm taking great pains to make sure that I anonymise the stories and talk in more general terms so that I keep confidentiality of my women I currently care for and have cared for in the past very safe. Many thanks for listening.